Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate this time that we've been able to spend in worship together. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving last week. I also hope that the sleepiness from the turkey has worn off by this morning. If it hasn't, I'll catch you in about 30 minutes. Uh, but thankful to be together today. I have some mixed emotions this morning. This morning we're concluding our series of lessons that we've been looking at on the Holy Spirit and how He is active and involved and engaged in our lives on a daily basis. When I counted this up, it surprised me just a little bit. This is the 17th Sunday morning that we've spent time thinking about the Holy Spirit of God. My prayer is that this series of lessons has been spiritually beneficial to you. I hope that these lessons have been enriching. I hope that they've encouraged us not just to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but to grow in our love of the Holy Spirit. To grow in our appreciation of the Holy Spirit. Just because we're moving away from this topic exclusively on Sunday mornings doesn't mean that we should move away from the Holy Spirit as a whole. As individual Christians and as a congregation of the Lord's church, we must continue to reverse our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. Because like we've said so many times throughout this study, when we forget the Holy Spirit, we forget about all of the amazing things that He's done in the past, and we forget about all of the amazing things that He's capable of doing in the present. I mean, think about what we've said throughout this series. When we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about the inspiration of the Scriptures. We forget about the wisdom and the revelation that comes from Him. We forget about the strength that He supplies to us in our inner man. We forget about the unity that He provides, the unity that we must maintain. We forget about the command that Paul gives in Ephesians 5 and verse number 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about the fruit that He is to provide in our lives. We forget about renewal. Assurance, guidance, and adoption. Wouldn't you say that's something that would be tragic? When we forget about the Spirit, we forget about how He intercedes on our behalf with groanings that are too deep for words in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. When we forget about the Spirit, we forget about how He works in John 16 to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Most importantly, when we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about God. Just like the Father is God, just like Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So when we forget about the Holy Spirit, we aren't just forgetting about a small detail of what our lives is supposed to be all about. We are forgetting about God Himself. And so as we move away from this, these series of lessons, as we said, I hope that we don't move away from the topic, that we will allow the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to be active and involved in our lives on a daily basis. The, the Holy Spirit is not some mysterious topic that we can know very little about. A study of the Holy Spirit is a very practical study. Without the Spirit, we would be nothing and we would be capable of doing nothing. This morning, I want to think about one more topic when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and it's the topic that you see up on the screen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As we begin, I want to remind you of the meaning of the term baptism. When we talk about baptism in the New Testament, we're not always talking about water. 
That word literally means to plunge, to dip, to submerge, to immerse. Here when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the immersion of the Holy Spirit. As we consider this topic, I want us to think about one question. What is it? What is the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit? I recognize that many of us come from different religious backgrounds. And so maybe we've heard very different ideas when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just to think about a few of those possibilities, there are some religious groups in the religious world who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for a person's personal salvation. The way that that oftentimes looks and the way that that oftentimes is taught is that a person prays a prayer, a person accepts Jesus into his or her heart, and as a result has a very supernatural experience that they call the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit. It's in that moment where they receive God's gift of salvation. Now, I'm I'm not saying that I believe that. I'm not saying the Scriptures teach that. We're actually going to see something contrary to that as we continue. But there are a lot of people who view the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that way. There are some, number two, who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't really have anything to do with salvation. But it has everything to do with a person's empowerment. When I receive God's gift of salvation, then the Spirit is going to baptize me. He's going to fill me. He's going to immerse me. And that's going to give me the power, the strength that I need to minister to others and to serve others on a daily basis. There are some religious groups, particularly those who would be considered more charismatic, who believe that the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit is the way that we're able to perform modern day miracles. Miracles like we read about in the New Testament scriptures and then there are some who believe that the baptism of the holy spirit is a deeper conversion into christ where i'm drawing deeper in my relationship with him as you can see up on the screen this is a debated topic there are a lot of different ways that a lot of different people think about the baptism of the holy spirit as we consider this topic this morning though we're not going to turn to a particular religious group we're not going to turn to a particular preacher or speaker or theologian as always it's our responsibility to do what let's go to the scriptures let's open up the word of god and let's see what the Word of God has to say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question that we're going to consider for the next few minutes. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? While there are some Scriptures that we could look at in the Old Testament that might serve as a backdrop, the first time that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament is what Garrett read for us just a few minutes ago in our Scripture reading. Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. You can find parallel accounts of this. Matthew 3 and verse 11. Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. John chapter 1 and verse number 33. As Mark begins his Gospel, after an introduction in chapter 1 and verse 1, he talks to us about the life and the ministry of one called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Malachi, he's the one preparing the way of the Lord. He's preparing people's hearts, preparing people's minds for Jesus to come on the scene. To be front and center in people's minds. John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You read about in Mark chapter 1. He was immersing people in the murky waters of the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. I think one thing we should love about John the Baptist... One idea 
where we should strive to be like John the Baptist is that he was one who was constantly pointing people to Jesus. And you see that here in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 7 where he's preaching saying, after me comes one who's mightier than I. John the Baptist says it's not about me. It's about the one who's coming after me because he's so much mightier than I am. He's stronger. He's greater than I am. Okay, John, how much stronger is this one coming after you? He says, let me tell you. He says, the, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. What an amazing statement. What an amazing statement of humility in Mark chapter 1 and verse 7 where he's not pointing to himself, he's pointing to Jesus, the one coming after him, saying he's so much greater than I am, I'm not even worthy to bend over and to untie his sandals. What are some of the ways that Jesus is going to be greater than John the Baptist? Look at verse number 8. He, he tells us one. He says, I've baptized you with water, but He, Jesus, the one coming after me, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says one of the ways that Jesus is so much mightier than me, one of the ways that He's greater than me, one of the ways that He's stronger than me, is that I've just baptized you with water. But when Jesus comes, He's going to have the capability to baptize or immerse people with the Holy Spirit. Is there ever a place in the Scriptures where Jesus baptizes or immerses people with the Spirit. Let's fast forward just a little bit in the chronology of the New Testament to the first chapter of the book of Acts. At this point, we've skipped over quite a lot of material. Jesus has lived His earthly life. He's gone through His earthly ministry. At this point, Jesus has died. He's been buried. He was raised on the third day. When we read in Acts chapter 1, we're in that 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and His ascension back to the right hand of the Father. Notice in verse number 4 of that first chapter in Acts, while staying with them, talking about the apostles, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me, here it is, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Does that in verse 5 sound familiar to you? Well, it should. Because that's what we just talked about in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We originally saw it on the lips of John the Baptist before Jesus even began His public ministry that Jesus is going to be greater than I am, he says. I've baptized with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes that promise from John the Baptist and applies it specifically to his apostles. Don't leave Jerusalem because not many days from now, what John talked about is going to be fulfilled. Not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You drop down just a couple of verses, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the same truth is stated in different words where Jesus tells them you will receive power when, not if, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice that the, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit immersing the apostles was not for their salvation. It was to empower them so that they can be witnesses of Jesus, so that they can proclaim the Gospel, the good news message of Jesus, starting in Jerusalem, but then moving to Judea, getting wider and going to Samaria, and then even to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes the promise to His apostles, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. Did that happen? 
Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We skip, again, just a little bit of material in Acts 1 where Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father. They select Matthias to take Judas Iscariot's position among the apostles. Notice it mentions when the day of Pentecost arrived. The day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Jewish Passover. In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Weeks. It was celebrated annually by the Jews. It celebrated the harvest being brought in. Notice when the day of Pentecost arrived, they. That's talking about the apostles. If you look in the very last verse of Acts chapter 1, the the last group that's mentioned are the apostles. And so the nearest antecedent, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the apostles, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and watch this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The promise was made back in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus, the one coming after John, who's greater than John, is going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself made the promise in Acts chapter 1, just the chapter before this. Not many days from now, you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find happening in Acts 2, verses 1-4. through The apostles are filled with the Spirit on the inside. They're speaking in tongues, speaking in known languages that they had never studied on the outside. That's significant because in the next verse, Acts 2 and verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You look at verses 7 through 11 in the same chapter, by my counting, which my counting might be a little bit off, but by my count, there are 16 different people groups present in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They were from different places and as a result spoke different languages. They were amazed. When the apostles came out speaking with Galilean accents, they were amazed to hear each one of them, the apostles, speaking in their own native language. That gives Peter the opportunity to stand with the eleven, to lift up his voice, to address them, to preach what many people call the first gospel sermon. It's called the first gospel sermon because it's all about Jesus and the gospel's all about Jesus. Peter in this sermon tells them about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He points out to them in verse 36 that they had crucified the one whom God had made both Lord and Christ. When they heard that, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said, men and brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what to do. Repent, let every one of you be baptized. Be immersed. This is talking about immersion in water. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see the end result in verse 41 that those who received His Word were baptized in water and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the first time that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in the New Testament Scriptures. The Spirit, in step with John's promise, in step with Jesus' promise, immerses the apostles, empowers them to be His witnesses, beginning in the city of Jerusalem. The Spirit falls on the apostles, baptizes, fills the apostles, so that they receive the ability to speak in tongues, to speak to a very diverse group of people gathered in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. That's the first time. There's only one other time when the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in the New Testament. And that's eight chapters later in Acts chapter 10. Up to this point in Acts chapter 10, only those of Jewish heritage 
and Jewish faith had entered into the body of Christ. The church was completely made up of those who were ethnically Jewish. That changes here in Acts chapter 10, doesn't it? Where we read about Cornelius, somebody who's a Gentile. The Bible says he was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 100 other Roman soldiers. We would expect him to be a pagan. But look at his character. He's an upright man. A God-fearing man. He's well spoken of by the entire Jewish nation. You read a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 10, an angel comes to him in a dream. An angel comes to him in a vision and tells him to send messengers to the city of Joppa, specifically to the house of Simon the Tanner, where the apostle Peter was located. Tell Peter to come back to us, to come back to the city of Caesarea to share his message with the Gentiles located there. So that's what happens. He invited them to be his guest, and the next day Peter rose and went away with these messengers, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. As Peter goes to the city of Caesarea, he finds that the Gentile Cornelius had gathered a pretty large group. His relatives, his household, his closest friends more than likely would have been there as well to hear what Peter has to say, to hear the message that Peter has to proclaim. I believe that Peter learned a lesson on that day. Beginning in verse 34, I believe he articulates that lesson. He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Especially after he had received a vision a little bit earlier in the chapter where God told him, do not call unclean what I have made clean. That was a vision not about animals. That was a vision about people. And so now we have Peter standing in front of Gentiles saying, I get this now. I'm grasping this idea that God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't show partiality. It's not just about the Jews. But verse 35, in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. In verse 36, Jesus is identified not just as the Lord of the Jews, but the Lord of all. The Lord of both Jew and Gentile. And so Peter preaches to them. He preaches about the life of Jesus, death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one through whom God judges both the living and the dead. And then you come to what happens, this amazing event in Acts 10 verses 44 through 48. The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, talking about these Gentiles. In verse 46, as a result of the Spirit falling upon them, they began speaking in tongues and extolling and praising God. You look in the middle of that, in verse number 45, Peter, along with the Jewish brothers in Christ who were with him, they were amazed that this was happening. God's pouring out His Spirit on the Gentiles? God's pouring out His Spirit on the pagan? Just like He did with us eight chapters before? But that's exactly what God was demonstrating. In this act, as the Gentiles are baptized or immersed with the Spirit, God is demonstrating that this isn't just about the Jews. This is about all people. It's not just the Jews who are to receive the gift of salvation. It's not just the Jews who are to be a part of the body of Christ. But now this door is being opened up for the Gentiles as well. Peter understood that God was communicating that message that day. You see that in the question that he asked in verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles eight chapters earlier. And so he says, can we withhold water from baptizing these people? If God has acted in this way, 
We must baptize them for the forgiveness of their sins. We must allow them and help them to walk through this door of salvation that God is opening to the pagan. And so that's what they did in 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they asked Him to remain for some days. Acts chapter 11, the next chapter, talks about how Peter goes to, back to the city of Jerusalem and some of the Jewish Christians there criticized him. Really? Associating with Gentiles? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter, why in the world would you do that? Well, Peter defends himself. Peter tells his story. And I want us to specifically notice what happens beginning in verse 15. This is Peter speaking. He's defending himself. He's telling his story. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, watch it, just as on us at the beginning. What did that make you think about, Peter? Verse 16, I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, have you heard this before? John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as He gave to us, the apostles, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Here's the second time that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in the Scriptures. The Spirit falls on those who were Gentiles, Cornelius, his household, his relatives, his friends, in order for God to demonstrate that a door of salvation has been opened to the pagan. They can receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. They can be a part of the body of Christ just like the Jews can. Peter says what happened to us back in Acts chapter 2 happened to them in Acts chapter 10. So we come back to this question, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you feel like you've been caught up in a whirlwind here over the next few minutes. So let me give you three ideas to summarize the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, I think we need to acknowledge this was never a command to be obeyed. Contrary to what some religious groups teach today, it was never commanded by God, be baptized, be filled, be immersed with the Holy Spirit. This was never something that individuals, human beings, sought to gain for themselves. God never told them, pray this prayer and you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Do this certain thing and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was never a command to be obeyed and it's never something that human beings sought to obey. Instead, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is how God acted in His sovereignty. This is something that God did to people without people really being involved in the reception of it at all. Number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was always accompanied with the miraculous. It was always accompanied with tongue speaking. You see that in Acts chapter 2 as well as in Acts chapter 10. And then I think the, the significant point about this is this third idea. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was for two specific purposes, two specific groups, and it was given on two specific occasions. The first time, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The apostles were immersed with the Holy Spirit and the purpose so that they would be empowered to be witnesses of Jesus to a very diverse group of people who were gathered in the city that day. The second time, in the city of Caesarea, Cornelius, the Gentiles, his household, his relatives, his friends, the Holy Spirit baptizes them, immerses them to demonstrate to the Apostle Peter and the Jewish brothers who were with them that the Gentiles are able to receive salvation through Jesus. They're able to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, just like the Jews are. 
The baptism of the Spirit was not something received by every person in the New Testament. It was not even received by the majority of people in the New Testament Scriptures. It was for two specific purposes, two specific groups, on two specific occasions. I think from those three ideas we see up on the screen, we can see pretty clearly that this is not something that we are to expect for ourselves. This is not something that we are to seek for ourselves. We've, we, we've been talking about when we forget the Holy Spirit, we forget about all of the amazing things He's done in the past. Here's something that the Holy Spirit did in the past, not something that we should expect today. This is a way that God acted through the Spirit on two very specific occasions for two specific people groups and specific purposes. While the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that we are to submit to today, I think we see that plainly from the Scriptures, there is a baptism today that we are to submit to. And that's what I want us to close our, our thoughts this morning thinking about. Talking about the baptism that's in water. Acts chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, a full immersion in water. Where two people go down into the water, one of them is completely immersed, and then they come back out of the water. Biblical baptism is not sprinkling. Biblical baptism is not pouring. Biblical baptism is immersion that requires both individuals to go down into the water and then to subsequently come back out of the water. I'm talking about the baptism that has to be preceded by faith and belief in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 and the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Notice that they were baptized, both men and women, in Acts 8 and verse 12. But only upon their faith, their trust, and their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news about His kingdom. I'm talking about the baptism that has to be preceded by repentance. Where someone who's living in the world comes to the realization, I want to change. I want to change the way that I think so that I'll change the way that I live. It's the baptism that's preceded by a confession of faith. Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 is a good example of that where the eunuch confesses, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This baptism that we are to submit to today has a very specific purpose. Acts 2 and verse 38, it's for the forgiveness of sins. It is the place at which we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when God's Spirit begins living and dwelling inside of us as children of God. This baptism is the place where we contact the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the place where our sins are washed away as we call on the name of the Lord. Acts 22 and verse 16. This is the baptism where we're placed in Christ. Not outside of Christ. We go from outside of Christ to inside of Christ, putting Him on, clothing ourselves with Him in Galatians 3 and verse number 27. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 talks about this baptism as spiritual circumcision. The circumcision of Christ. Where we're buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism, God Himself cuts away that old body of sinful flesh and we're raised up with Jesus through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 6 and verse 4, this is the baptism where we reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in our own lives. We're buried with Him in ba by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This baptism that we're talking about is absolutely essential to a person's salvation. There are some religious groups who teach and believe that baptism is not essential for salvation. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. He says, baptism 
now saves you. A significant step in the salvation process, the place in the salvation process at which we receive that gift. Titus 3 and verse 5 talks about it as the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself says in Matthew 28 that it's carried out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by the authority of the Trinity, the Godhead. It's the one baptism that we're to submit to today in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, an immersion in water for the forgiveness of a person's sins. And so we have to ask the question, have you made that decision? Have you made the decision to be baptized into Christ? To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have been baptized at some point in the past, I want you to think for just a second, what was the purpose of that baptism? What was the reason you were baptized? Well, maybe you were baptized as an infant. And we mentioned just a few moments ago that biblical baptism must be preceded by belief, by repentance, by confession. Three things of which an infant is not capable of doing. Maybe it was the case that you were saved by saying some kind of prayer, accepting Jesus into your heart, and then you were baptized, immersed in water later. We just read from 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that salvation does not come before baptism. Salvation comes at baptism. And so I want to encourage you to think about that. For those of you who might not have my cell phone number, there it is up on the screen. As long as you don't prank call me, I'm glad for you to have it. Write it down. Take a picture of it. Put it in your phone. If you have questions about this topic, reach out to somebody in this congregation. There are so many people who could help you with this. But if you can't find anybody else, send me a text. Give me a call. I'd love to get together sometime this week to think about this topic. To go directly to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures teach us about baptism? How can we do what the Lord wants us to do? So you don't have to have questions. You don't have to have doubts. You don't have to live in this middle ground where I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure that I'm saved or I'm not sure if I'm not saved. Let's talk about that sometime this week. Or maybe you're ready to be baptized today. We'd love to help you with that. You, you can be baptized today. You can be saved by the blood of Jesus today. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. Just come down front. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about it. We'd love to take care of it even today. We can help you. We'd love to. As together we stand and sing.